Book One, Chapter Two of Saint Francis of Assisi, a Biography, by Johannes Jornson, translated by Thomas O'Connor Sloan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Francis the Church Builder, Chapter Two: Infancy and Youth. Francesco, or as we say in our language, Francis had that morning just completed his twenty-second year and was the eldest son of one of the richest men of assisi the great cloth merchant pietro de bernardone the family was not indigenous to assisi pietro's father bernardone or great bernard had come from lucca and belonged to the renowned lucan family of weavers and merchants the morriconi francis's mother fru pica was of still more distant origin. Ser Pietro had made her acquaintance on one of his business trips in beautiful legendary Provence, and took her home as his bride to the little Italian village under the mountain declivity of Subasio. Assisi is one of the oldest cities of Italy. Even in the books of Ptolemy, it is called Assision, and in the year 46 B.C., the latin poet propertius was born there christianity was brought to this region by saint crispolitus or crispoldo according to the legend the disciple of saint peter as well as of saint bricius bishop of spoleto who at the command of the prince of the apostles in the year fifty eight is said to have consecrated saint crispoldo as bishop in vetona now betona and to have assigned him the charge over the whole district from Foligno in the south to Nocera in the north. Under the persecutions of Domitian, St. Crispaldo suffered martyrdom. The same fate overtook later three of Umbria's bishops, St. Victorinus, about 240, St. Sabinus, 303, and St. Brufinus, who was the apostle of Assisi. In honor of the last-named, there was erected in Assisi, in the middle of the twelfth century, the beautiful Romanesque Basilica of San Rufino, after the designs of John of Gubbio, and when it was completed, it became the cathedral of the place, replacing the very old church by the bishop's palace, Santa Maria del Vescovado. And in this church of San Rufino still stands the Romanesque baptismal font in which the firstborn of Ser Pietro and Madonna Pica received the water of holy baptism one day in September, 1182. It is said to have been the 26th. A legend which is not older than the 15th century says that while Madonna Pica's hour with Francis was come, the child could not be born. Then a pilgrim knocked at the door, and when it was opened, said that the child would not be born until the mother left the beautiful bedroom went into the stable and there lay upon straw in one of the stalls this was done and hardly was the change effected when the heart-rending cries of the mother ceased and she bore a son whose first cradle like that of the saviour was a manger full of straw in a stable bartholomew of pisa who wrote in the end of the fourteenth century and who in his work liber conformitatum goes very far in drawing analogies between jesus christ and saint francis 
knew nothing of this story, yet it would have exactly suited the scope of his book. On the other hand, Benozzo Gazzoli, in the year 1452, painted the birth in the stable upon the walls of the church of St. Francis in Montefalco, and Sedulius, whose Historia Seraphica appeared in Antwerp in the year 1613, says that he saw the stable in Assisi converted into a chapel. Even today this chapel can be found in Assisi. It is called San Francesco il Piccolo, St. Francis the Little, and over the door can be read the following inscription, Hoc Oratorium Fuit Bovis et Assini Stabulum inquonatus est franciscus mundi speculum this oratory was the stable of ox and ass in which saint francis the mirror of the world was born the chapel is not far from the place where now the house of the father of saint francis is shown and where since the seventeenth century the chiesa nuova new church lifts its baroque walls the Bolandists have propounded the theory that the chapel may be part of Pietro di Bernardone's original house, which the family later moved out of while Francis was still a child. Perhaps the name of the chapel, Little Francis, led to the development of the legend. Of the same legendary quality as that of the birth in the stable is another tradition that is first given by Wadding. This tells us that the same pilgrim, who had given the good advice about the flight to the stable, was also in the church at the time of the child's baptism, immediately after the birth, and held the child over the font. There is still shown in San Rufino's church a stone on which are what resemble footprints. It is told by the guide who shows the stone that the pilgrim, or the angel in guise of a pilgrim, stood upon this stone, when St. Francis was baptized. The seed from which this legend has sprung is undoubtedly a tale which still exists in a manuscript of the so-called Legend of the Three Brothers. It is told in it that while the newborn Francis was being baptized, a pilgrim came and knocked at the door and asked to see the child. The maid who opened the door naturally refused this request, but the stranger declared that he would not go until he obtained his wish. Ser Pietro was not at home, and they told the lady of the house what was going on. To the astonishment of all, she ordered them to do what the pilgrim asked. The child was taken out, and as soon as the stranger saw the child, he took it in his arms just as Simeon had taken the divine infant, and said, Today there have been born in this street two children and one of them, namely this very child, shall be one of the best men in the world, and the other shall be one of the worst. Bartholomew of Pisa adds that the pilgrim made the sign of a cross upon the right shoulder of the little one, warning the nurse to look well after the child, for the devil strove after its life. And when the stranger had said this, he disappeared before the eyes of all. In baptism, the son of Ser Pietro had received the name of John. The father was absent on a journey to France when the child was born, and one of the first things he undertook after his return was to change his firstborn's name from John to Francis. 
this name was then rare although not entirely new it was in use in the immediate neighborhood of assisi as the name of the road via francesca which then ran along the west side of the town from san salvatore degli pareti now casa gualdi and ended at san damiano this road is referred to by name in a bull of pope innocent the third published may twenty sixth eleven ninety eight when francis was only fifteen years old and not yet famous enough to have a road called after him many surmises have been made as to why pietro di bernadone changed his son's name the love of the merchant just returning from provence for france must have been a principal motive he wished his son to be a real frenchman in nature and ways a certain protest against the name-giving by the woman of the house may also have played its part st bonaventure says explicitly that the name john was given him by his mother i wish no camel's hair john the baptist but a frenchman with fine nature is what the father's changing of the name may be thought to have meant others hold that the name the frenchman was first bestowed upon the youth as he grew up because of his skill in the french language a skill which certainly was not very great as he never could speak the language perfectly in any case the youth became familiar from youth with the french tongue he also learned latin this part of his education was undertaken by priests in the neighboring church of st george st francis's first biographer thomas of chelano gives us an unpleasant picture of the education of the period he tells us the children were scarcely weaned before they were taught by their elders to both say and do improper things and that from false human respect no one dared to behave honorably and from so bad a twig no good and healthy tree naturally could spring a wasted childhood was followed by a riotous youth christianity was only a name with the young and all their ambition was simply in the direction of seeming worse than they were thomas of chelano was a poet and a rhetorician and it is not easy to know how much weight should be attached to his assertions perhaps he thought of the conditions in his own childhood's home chelano in the abruzzi of the other biographers only julian of spire has anything of the same sort to say and he copies it all from brother thomas at an early age in accordance with a custom still obtaining in italy francis began to assist his father in the shop he soon showed himself adapted for business even more than his forebears julian of spire referred to above says of him in this respect he was a skilful and active business man and lacked only one business trait but this was also very essential he was not economical rather was he absolutely wasteful to understand the cause of this wastefulness it is necessary to take a look at the period in which the young merchant grew up it was the end of the twelfth century and beginning of the thirteenth in other words it was the flowery time of knighthood and chivalry europe's ideal was the knight and the life of chivalry as it developed in the courts of love in provence and with the norman kings in sicily in italy the minor courts of este verona and monteferrato 
contended with the great republics of florence and milan to see who could give the most magnificent tournaments and tilting matches the most celebrated troubadours of france rambaud de vaqueras pierre vidal bernard de ventadour pierre d'auvergne wandered over the peninsula on endless journeys from court to court and from festival to festival everywhere were to be heard the chanson de geste of provence fables and ballads everywhere were to be heard songs of king arthur and the knights of the round table even in the smallest cities the courts of love were established devoted to the gay science la gaia scienza pietro di bernardone's french son was as it were destined to be caught in this movement he was not like his father only the saving easily contented italian to whom it was enough to accumulate money there flowed through his veins also the sparkling blood of provence he must have enjoyment by means of his money he wanted to change gold into splendor and joy thus francis the richest young man of the place very naturally became what in our days would be called the leading society man of the town he was skilled in earning money but very frivolous in giving it away again says thomas of chelano no wonder that he soon gathered a circle of friends about him not only from assisi but also from the neighboring villages we even find him seeking a friend in the somewhat distant town of gubbio how did these young men spend their time when they were together like all young men up to the present day in taking their meals together eating well drinking better and finally in high spirits going through the streets of the city arm in arm singing at the top of their voices and disturbing the slumbers of the citizens the austere friar minor from Chelano enumerates for us the sins of these wild young men they joked he says were witty said foolish things and wore soft effeminate clothes i remember a day in may a few years ago a day in may in subiaco in the sabine hills i had visited sagrospeco st benedict's celebrated hermitage cave and holy scholastics convent i had gone into an inn by the wayside to get a light meal until i could take the train back to rome via mandela i had my meal served in a pleasure house situated on a projecting point of rock so that i looked down between the openings of a screen into a fig orchard's broad-leaved tops lighted by the sun over the fig trees i had a view into the valley where the anio shining like silver rushed down between blue-gray cliffs and far away the village of subiaco with proud towers and spires lifted itself up like a castle on a mountain-top in these cheerful exalting and sunny surroundings was a company of youths who were taking their dinner in the same inn with me out in an open veranda which gave a most beautiful view in among the wild mountains they had had a long table set i saw the bright white cloth the mighty flasks the glasses with the red wine and the waiters who ran back and forth with great dishes of macaroni and laughter and song arose but never became ungoverned riot 
and they stood up in their places and made speeches, and after the speaking there was a little cornet playing. Such, thought I to myself, were the festivals filled with Italian enjoyment and at the same time with Italian politeness, at which Pietro di Bernardone's son bore the scepter as Rex, as king of the festive party, king for a day and an evening. And if the old Franciscan from Celano had been familiar with the wild inspired drinking songs of the youth of the north, or with the Salomon de Ribon of the German songs of the Muse, then he would have been milder in passing judgment on these festivals, whose delights were as mild and clear as the yellow wine that ripens on the Umbrian hillsides. But he knew them not, and therefore tells us that Francis was the worst of all the brawling youths, the one who led and misled the others. The gilded youth of Assisi went from feast to feast, and at night they could be heard going through the streets, singing to the accompaniment of the lute or violin, as if they were a wandering band of troubadours or jongleurs. Indeed, so far did Francis go in his admiration for the joyful science of Provence, that he had a party-colored minstrel suit made for himself, which he wore when among his friends. Even at this early time, Francis's father had most probably taken his son as associate in his business, at any rate, the young man had control over considerable sums of money. Everything that he earned went for pleasure. Now and then the father could hardly withhold the remark, Anyone would think you were a nobleman's son, and not the son of a simple merchant. Yet none of his elders cared to restrain Francis in the life he led, and when well-meaning neighbors complained to Madonna Pica of the wild son she had, she used to only answer, I have the hope that he too some day will be a son of God. It was impossible to say anything really bad about him. In all that related to his intercourse with the other sex, he was a model. It was known among his friends that no one dared say an evil word in his hearing. If it happened, at once his face assumed a serious, almost harsh expression and he did not answer. Like all the pure of heart, Francis had great reverence for the mysteries of life. He was on the whole decorous in his life, and there was only one thing that really offended his family. It was that he clung so to his friends, that as he sat at the table in his home, if a message came from them, he would jump up, leave the meal, and going out, would not return to finish his repast. In one respect, he was worthy of admiration. This was his regard for the poor. His extravagance extended even to them. He was not one of those typical society men who hardly have a penny to give a beggar but willingly spend their hundreds on a champagne feast. His way of thinking was the following. If I am generous, yes, even extravagant with my friends who at the best only say thanks to me for them, or repay me with another invitation, how much greater grounds have I for almsgiving, which God himself has promised to repay a hundredfold? This was the inspiring life-thought of the Middle Ages, 
which here carried out the genially literal and genially naive translation of the words of the gospel as long as you did it to one of these my least brethren you did it to me francis knew as the whole middle ages knew it that not even a glass of cold water given by the disciples would remain unpaid and unrewarded by the master therefore a pang went through his heart when one day as there was a crowd in the shop and he was in a hurry to get through he had sent a beggar away if this man had come from one of my friends he said to himself from count this or baron that he would have got what he asked for now he comes from the king of kings and from the lord of lords and i let him go away empty-handed i even gave him a repelling word and he determined from that day on to give to everyone who asked him in god's name per amor di dio as the italian beggars still are wont to say one effect of his kindness to the poor was perhaps this as bonaventure tells it one of the original characters of the village a half-witted or entire simpleton who traveled around the streets and byways every time he met francis took off his cloak and spread it out on the ground and asked the young man to step upon it perhaps it was the same queer fellow perhaps another of the wandering weaklings of the middle ages who used to wander through the streets of assisi calling out ceaselessly pox et bonum peace and good after francis's conversion this warning voice ceased which is treated in the legend as a kind of precursor of the great saint's coming finally francis was endowed with a vivid feeling for nature for it was in provence that this sentiment now so spontaneous in life as in literature found a century later in the works of petrarch its first literary expression since the days of antiquity but already in the half provencal francis it is found fully developed the beauty of the country the charm of the vineyards all that was pleasing to the eye rejoiced him says thomas of chelano and we will not go wrong if we regard this feeling as a part of francis's inheritance from his mother this was then a notable element of his personality and was temporarily only obscured by the spiritual crisis which preceded his conversion as all good which is to grow so must this side of his nature be pruned down even to the very roots but only to bear a still richer crown for as a german mystic has said no one has a true love for created things unless he has first forsaken it for love of god so that it has been dead for him and he dead for it end of book one chapter two